Uh, we saw Luke picked this story. I want to I want to just remind us because it's important. We're going to see it play out in our our message today. But Luke picks this story from kind of somewhere in the middle of Jesus's ministry, and he plops it down at the beginning. Remember we talked about the last week because he he wants us to to understand something specific about the ministry of Jesus. So as we talked about last week, Luke picks this story. Jesus goes to Nazareth to his hometown, and he's using this as an introduction to Jesus' ministry up in the northwestern region of Galilee. Remember, I had the map up there, Sea of Galilee. Jesus is up in the, the top portion of that, and he travels up to Nazareth, which it's weird to say up because you are moving south, but he's going up in elevation. But anyway, so Luke is showing his readers um, that there were many who did not respond to Jesus' message in a positive, positive way. Their ideas about who the Messiah would be and their knowledge of who Jesus was as he grew up kept them from seeing that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, and because they, they knew Jesus, and I'm using air quotes if you're listening to the podcast, they couldn't see the truth about who he was. We discussed how often churchgoers face that same stumbling block because we grow up in church, we think we quote-unquote know Jesus, and as we are moving forward in our faith, as we're growing in our understanding of him, often we don't leave room in our minds for, for God to challenge the things that we think that we know. Um, we've kind of locked into what we believe about him, and we don't allow ourselves to continue to learn more about the character of Jesus because if, if one thing is true and constant. It's that we always need to grow and we always need to learn. God is unchanging, but it does not mean that when we learned a truth when we were 14, that, that we knew all the facets of that truth until now when you're grown, right? Our, our minds develop, they change, and the way we think about God needs to grow and evolve as we grow and evolve. Luke continues this introduction to Jesus' ministry in our passage today. But we're going to see a very different kind of reaction and response to Jesus. And Luke uses these two vastly different responses to prepare the reader's minds and their hearts for what he is, the stories he's about to tell. As we learn about Jesus, we are going to be asked how we are going to respond, right? Luke's goal in the previous passage we did last week and this passage is to kind of bookend these thoughts, these ideas about who Jesus is. Last week we saw a group of people who responded with rage and wanted to kill Jesus, right? And this week we're going to see a very different kind of response, a response of people who want to follow Jesus, okay? One of the things that I love about um, preaching through a book like this is it doesn't allow me to skip over passages that are difficult or uncomfortable to talk about. Today we're going to read in our passage about something that frankly doesn't get a lot of airtime in churches. We're going to, we're going to talk today uh, about um, demons. In our passage today, Jesus, we're going to see him cast out many demons. And so in our time today and in life group, there may be some things that we talk about that make you feel a little uncomfortable. That's not always a bad thing. Us learning about things that are uncomfortable are often good. But I want us to read our passage today, and we're going to kind of see what God has for us in his word. So today we're going to cover Luke chapter 31 all the way, or chapter 4, verse 31, all the way through 44. So we're going to wrap up chapter 4 today. So let's, let's jump in in verse 31. Um, before we do that, I, I do want to address another elephant in the room. I said Capernaum all week last week, and no one stopped me. It's Capernaum, and I know that, but my brain saw caper, and that was, it was over from that. Okay, So Jesus went down to, to uh, Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teachings because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit, who cried out with a loud voice, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over all of them. And they were saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And the news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve him. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each of them, he healed them. Also, demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. Then they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, It is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. All right, so that's a lot, right? That's not normally the, the chunk of passage that I would typically grab, but I wanted to do the whole thing today because I wanted to see this book in that Luke is putting because next week we're going to talk about Jesus calling his first disciples, but I wanted us to see this in the way that Luke intended for it to be read. We got on the front end, Jesus goes home to Nazareth, he reads from the scrolls, says today and you're hearing this has been fulfilled. People are excited about that, but then Jesus says, hey, I know you're going to ask me to do these things. And he, we, we talked about that last, last week, I won't dive into a whole bunch. But then this week we see people hear the message of Jesus. Jesus heals people, this demon tries to interrupt, Jesus casts him out, and people respond in a very different way. Throughout this section, Luke is making three things quite clear, and they're the reason for this text in this location in the book. As we discussed, we, the passage we looked at last week picked up from the middle of Jesus' ministry in order to set the backdrop for how ministry would go between Jesus and religious And the passage for today is also framing the ministry of Jesus by showing his power. We're going to learn about three specific things today. Number one, Jesus speaks with authority. Number two, he holds the power over spiritual things. And then number three, he holds power over physical things. So let's look at the first one today. Jesus speaks with authority. In the opening sections, in the opening line of the section, Luke places us back in Capernaum by saying that they went back down there, okay? And he meant this quite literally. I made an allusion to this a while ago. They went south, um, or actually he went south to Nazareth and went back north uh, to, to Capernaum, but it's about 1,900 feet in elevation. They went down in elevation as they went north. So it's super kind of weird, but that's, I want us to kind of be able to frame that in our minds. Keep in mind as we talk about this section, the foreshadowing that we talked about last week. Last week I brought out Matthew chapter 11 verse 23 and it says, You, uh, Capernaum, will be exalted to heaven. No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. The verses that we just read are the summation of the work that Matthew records Jesus talking about. So the stuff that we just read is what Jesus is referring to. He says that the works that were done in you, if they had been done in Sodom, Sodom would still be here today. Jesus went back down to Capernaum and taught on the Sabbath. And that's important for us to see. That was his custom. Those that were attending the service there in the synagogue were amazed by his teaching. Look at verse 32 again. It says, they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. And I want us to think about that word authority for a minute today. They weren't amazed by his delivery. 
but by the power and the authority that he spoke with. And I want to give some context to that testimony from those that were there. This was in one of my commentaries this week. It said, they had heard teachers every Sabbath all their lives, right? They're like us, most of us. Grew up in church, listening to preachers their whole life, okay? Not to mention all the ones in Sabbath school during the days of childhood. Those teachers were all alike. They set out a problem. Then they told you what every rabbi who had ever taught had said about that problem. Then they went on to the next one without solving the problem. Fun, right? says Jesus was different. He did not mention what the other teachers had to say. He simply said, this is the truth. Take it or leave it. And the crowds came to hear such a message. So Jesus is teaching in a way that these people had not experienced before. He, he spoke truth rather than just presenting a problem with no solution. He wasn't regurgitating something that someone else said. Jesus spoke out of experience and knowledge that came from his personal relationship with God. His, re, his relationship with the Father, that connection of the Trinity of God the Son, Jesus, or God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's where his authority came from. He wasn't telling someone else's stories or ideas. He was sharing his own. I was thinking about, I don't know if I've shared this story with you guys before or not, but when I was in college, I had to go through a, a preaching class, and it's where you learn how to, to develop, study, write, and then deliver a message, right? A professor that was there at Louisiana College at the time uh, taught through that class, and that same semester, I believe it was, or at the end of that semester, he led a trip to Alaska. If you've never been to Alaska, highly recommend that you go. I went on a mission trip up there, and one of the things that we were going to do was organize and then, like, lead a revival. And so we went up, this, all this was set up, and the first night of the revival, this professor who taught this preaching class is preaching, and y'all, I am, like, digging it. It was so good. I mean, that man is up there. He is in it about halfway through. Like one of my classmates that was in that preaching class with me was sitting next to me and I bumped him. I was like, dude, man, he is killing it. This sermon is incredible. And he was like, dude, he didn't write this sermon. What? He's like, he didn't write this. He said, you never heard this sermon before? I was like, no, I didn't grow up in a Baptist church. I grew up in a Methodist church. And, and it was the, y'all probably heard this before. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Have y'all heard that message before? Okay, that's what he's preaching, and he didn't even tell anybody. He wasn't like, hey, this is a great message I heard from this guy who was preacher back in the day, and I'm going to share it with you today. Like, he just was owning that thing like it was his own, and, and I was so deflated, right? Because here's this guy who was supposed to, you know, he was teaching me this class on how to prepare and deliver sermons, and in the middle of it, I'm like, dude, he is killing it. Like, this dude knows what he's talking about, and, and then I found out that he was just, he was just using somebody else's words. I'm not saying that we shouldn't share what we learn from other people. That's, that's how life works. But we've got to give credit to those people, right? This is, this is what the people in the synagogues were experiencing. Is they're hearing these religious leaders literally only say the things that their predecessors had said about the scriptures that they had read. One of my other commentaries this week had a quote from one saying. This is, they were saying this like in a prideful way. I've never said a word of my own thoughts, but only shared what I have been taught by the rabbis before me. Like this was their, like this is the thing we do. We don't bring our own thoughts. We don't bring our own experiences into this. We just repeat what the guys before me, which tells you that the messages were all pretty bland, right? They were all pretty much the same thing. Here's the scripture. Here's the problem. Okay, let's move on to the next one. There just wasn't a whole lot happening there. And so then Jesus shows up and he reads the scripture like he did in Nazareth and says, today 
in the reading of this word, this prophecy has been fulfilled in me. That's a way different experience than what they're used to. Jesus' relationship with God and his connection with the Holy Spirit made a huge impact on the people that heard him speak. It was different because Jesus was able to share God's heart behind the text rather than just speculating or restating someone else's stories. The Apostle John shares a very similar story to what Luke is describing here in this passage. Look with me at John chapter 7, verse 37 through 52. It said, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And when some from the crowds heard these words, they said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some said, Surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the Scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and the Pharisees. I want to pause right there. That servants, that's like a sub-rabbi. So they're not like the people who are just bringing food. These are rabbis in training. Then the servants came to the chief priests of the Pharisees and asked them, and who asked them, why didn't you bring him? And the servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded, are you fool too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, said to them, Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied. Investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So here's what's happening. They're at a festival. Jesus stands up. He proclaims this good news. And people are like, whoa, this is incredible. And, and so some of these sub-rabbis, they go to the, to the main dudes, and they're like, dude, did y'all, you hear what he said? And they're like, why didn't you seize him and bring him to me? And they're like, man, nobody's ever, nobody's ever talked like that. And then Nicodemus, y'all remember little Nicodemus, right? Man who grew up, the, climbed up the sycamore tree, that guy, Pharisee, stands, I'm, Zacchaeus, that's close to Nicodemus, I'm sorry, <laughs> forgive me. Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, goes in there and he defends Jesus. He's like, hey, our law doesn't re- doesn't allow us to judge somebody before we've heard what they have to say, okay? As we can clearly see, Jesus had a great command over the scriptures, and he spoke in power because he's the son of God. He knows this stuff to be true. And not only did he speak with authority, he also showed that his command wasn't just over words, but over other spiritual beings as well. And this is point number two. Jesus holds power in spiritual matters. You know, I've mentioned the enemy or Satan quite a bit over the course of this study and for good reason. His temptation and our weakness is what has led us to where we are today. And I would say that it's pretty comfortable comfortable for us to talk about that thing that happened way back then that's very far removed from our day-to-day experiences. However, it's another thing altogether to think about that happening right here where we are, where we live in our in our homes, in our towns. Years ago, um, after our church flooded, I don't know if, how many of you were here for that. Uh, the whole church flooded. We couldn't meet in here because it was 
wet and all that. And so we, we went into the fellowship hall and had church in there. Fuge was cleaning this week and they had all the chairs, the metal chairs set up in there and they were cleaning them. And I, I walked in, it was just kind of a flashback. I was like, oh man, that was such a sweet time. It was not necessarily fun, but it was sweet. But during that time period, God told Glenn to, to do a series on spiritual warfare. And to, to accomplish that, we read together and then Glenn preached on a book by Chip Ingram called The Invisible War, What Every Believer Needs to Know About Satan, Demons, and Spiritual Warfare. And the author leads that book, Chip leads out that book with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to dis- disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And then he shares this passage from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians six ten through 12. He says, finally be strengthened by the Lord. And by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And then he goes on to say, the full meaning of this command is captured in this expanded translation. Allow yourself to be continually strengthened by the power of already made available to you in your new position and relationship with Christ. It is the power that raised Jesus from the dead and now dwells in you. That's from Chip Ingram. I don't have time today to do a deep dive into spiritual warfare and all that is entailed in that. But what I want us to see is that scripture makes it abundantly clear that evil forces are at work all around us all the time. We don't talk about that a lot in church because it's frankly uncomfortable. And there's a lot of nuance there, and there's been a lot of stuff that's been done in the past by other denominations, and some even in our denomination, that have just made that feel kind of icky, right? And so we just don't talk about it. But I want us to see that evil forces are around us. Demons, the devil, all of those things are real, okay? And their goal is to disrupt the work of God among his people, and that's exactly what we see happening in our story today. Look back at Luke 4. I want us to read 34 and 30, through 37 again. The demon says, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent, come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over all, and they were saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to go to every place in the vicinity. So Jesus is teaching, and this evil spirit, this demon, interrupts what's happening. Remember, they're in the synagogue, right? That's where Jesus is teaching at. So Jesus rebukes him, tells him to leave the, the, the man, and the demon obeys him. Well, what's really interesting, the goal of the demon, at least from my perspective, is to interrupt the ministry of Jesus, to get the attention off of Jesus and on to something else. That's what the demon's trying to do. But interestingly enough, y'all remember us talking about reliable witnesses when we were in the beginning of this book? Guess what that demon makes himself? A reliable witness. Because he identifies Jesus. He calls him the Holy One of God. I believe the intent was to detract detract from what God was doing. But in trying to do so, he further solidified Jesus' identity and his power. Because now the people see the demon. And they see the demon recognize Jesus as the Holy One of God. And they see Jesus give the demon a command. And he has to obey it. And he does obey it. So Jesus shows that he holds all authority and power over this spiritual realm. Jesus doesn't just understand the heart of God behind the scriptures. He also understands God's heart 
for the people. And we see that in this story. He tells him to leave and the demon does and he doesn't hurt the man. This man's being controlled by an evil spirit. Jesus rebukes it, sends it away. And the people that were present witnessed this authority and this power that God gave Jesus. And following this event, the news about who Jesus is begins to spread all over the region. And from there, Jesus goes to Simon's house. And that further shows the power he holds because we see Jesus holding power over physical matters as well. This is point number three. Let's look at verse 38 through 44 again. It says, after he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve him. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they, knew, because they knew he was the Messiah. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. There's a couple of key elements I want us to see from this portion of the story. Firstly, I want us to see that Simon's family asked Jesus to come and heal Simon's mother-in-law. They went and inquired. To this point, up until this point, I, I don't know where Luke pulled this story for, but as far as we can tell from this particular gospel, Jesus had not healed anybody yet. Maybe he had. We don't know that based on this particular text. But regardless, Simon's family asked Jesus to come and heal his mother-in-law. And so Jesus healed her, and it was instantaneous. This wasn't just like, you know, like you're sick and then your fever breaks. Y'all have been through that before. And then, you know, the next day you feel better. She said, Luke, who's a doctor, describes this as a high fever. And it says, Jesus rebuked the high fever and it left her. And she was better and got up and started serving the guests. Like, boom, done. It's over. People were undoubtedly amazed as they left the house, right? There's all these people there because Jesus went. They followed him in. Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. She gets up, starts serving all these people that are in her house. And as they dispersed, the news of that traveled with them. And not only did Jesus heal the sick during this time period, he also continued to show his power over these evil spirits. There are more demons that are cast out, and they continue to verify that Jesus is the Son of God. I've always found it interesting that here and in other places, we see Jesus telling people not to share that he's the Messiah. Do y'all remember seeing that before? Raise your hand if you've ever wondered why he did that. I've always wondered that. Like, why would Jesus, he's coming to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and to be the fulfillment of the law, but why would he not want people to do that? As I was studying this week, I discovered what the answer to that may be. Think about the political atmosphere that Jesus is in, in that part of the world specifically during that time period. Jesus didn't want people to mistake his mission for the culture's idea of what the Messiah would be. We've talked about this in the past, and we talked about it a lot in college, but the, the, the Israel nation was looking for a white knight, right, to come in and conquer the Roman Empire. They'd been in under uh, the rule of all these other empires, and so they're looking for somebody to come in and be a military savior. That's what they're wanting. That's what they're looking for, but that's not who Jesus was. He wanted his call and the work of the Holy Spirit to define his ministry, not the local lore or the political landscape. That's why Jesus tells these demons and tells others, 
don't tell people I'm the Messiah yet because he wants what God has sent them, sent him there to be, to be the focus of the ministry, right? I'm sure y'all have experienced that before where somebody has an idea of, of why you're there. Like the other day I went to Super One to work on something. The, the person that was behind the cash register didn't know what I did. And so I went in to just check on something and she's like, Hey, while you're here, I need you to fix this and this and this and this and this and this. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know how to do those things. I'm just here to make sure there's paper in the machine. Does that make sense? People make those assumptions about you. And so I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's telling them, don't tell people that I'm the Messiah because he wants to be in control of that narrative to, for people to experience as they're experiencing him, who the Messiah really is. This whole passage at the end of Luke 4, like I said before, is the author setting the stage for Jesus' ministry. Last week we learned about a group of people that were amazed, yet their response was to want to kill Jesus. Today we see a different group of people who experienced Jesus' authority and power, and they welcome it in their lives. I love that it says in the end of that passage that the next morning, which means those people were Jesus is laying hands on, he's casting demons out. That happened all night long. And the next morning, Jesus slips out to a deserted place to spend time with the Father. And the people are searching for him everywhere. But not to kill him, because they want to bring him back to town. And say, hey, we got a lot more of this work that needs to be done. And Jesus says, hold on, I've got to do this in all the towns, because that's why God sent me. Rather than wanting to kill Jesus, they're excited about it. They want more of it. And they want to tell other people about what they're experiencing. Luke is setting the stage for his readers. He's setting the stage for us. As we move into the rest of Jesus' ministry, we're going to see both groups of people over and over and over again in these stories. There's going to be one who loves him and wants more of it, and there's going to be those that hate him and want to see him dead. He's showing a clear distinction between these two groups at the end of Luke chapter 4. And his goal for the readers is to hear about Jesus and then respond accordingly. By prefacing the ministry of Jesus in this way, he's asking the reader to decide which camp they're going to fall into. The author's asking us the same question. And before we knee-jerk and be like, yeah, I'm a believer. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I want us to ask ourselves the harder question. What areas of your life, excuse me, that's a question for life groups. (laughs) Here's the question I want you to ask right now. Does that belief mean that you trust Jesus enough to have total authority and power over every aspect of your life. Because that's what Luke is asking his readers to do. Is as you hear these stories, as you're learning about the person of Jesus, this is what Luke is doing, this is why he's writing this book, is to find out, is this person, Jesus, really the Son of God? Is he who he said he is? So he's gathering all of this testimony so he can decide that for himself. And as he's writing this work out, I believe that as he's writing it, he's already made that decision for himself. That he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so he's writing this in a way that his readers can see these two camps and ask themselves the question, which one do I fall into? And that's one we have to ask ourselves too. And and it's not just enough to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons also believe that. The more important question is, are you willing to follow Jesus as he leads in your life? Are you willing to submit to that authority and power? We're really good at giving away areas of our lives, the things that are easy to give away, the things that are culturally acceptable to give away. However, there's also areas that we still cling to that we're not willing to let Jesus have total authority over. I was having a meeting with a couple of young guys in Glenn on Zoom this week, 
that are um, they're students of Russ Meeks. Russ got them in contact with us. They are praying about planting a church in North Louisiana, either West Monroe or Ruston. And we're just telling them about who we are. You know, he's heard, they've heard testimony from Russ about our church and the gathering place in general. So they just want to reach out to us and, and just see if God was in this, that we would work together. And so as we're, we're talking through that, I was reminded of a story. This was back when we were still at Lee Heights. So, man, this was probably 10 years ago. Kenneth and Christy Williams, um, who are minister, uh, missionaries that we, we used to support and may support again, were, were leaving to move to Uganda. I don't remember how many kids they had at that time, but four, three, four, something like that. But I remember just very vividly in my mind that Christy is like, I'm talking about like pregnant, pregnant. And they're fixing to move to Uganda. And not like the capital of Uganda where there's like some stuff. I'm talking like eight hours away from that in the middle of nowhere, Uganda, and have this baby in their house. Y'all, I, I don't know about you, but that to me was a level of faith I didn't think I could ever achieve. To trust God enough to say, I want you to move to a third world country and be willing to have your baby in the middle of nowhere. Incredible. That did a lot for me. Their, their testimony of, of, of being obedient to God. Next week, we're going to see Luke introduce the first disciples that Jesus calls. One of which is Simon Peter that we learned a little bit about today. Simon's a married man, which means he probably also has a family. But because of what he experiences with Jesus and who he trusted him to be, it changed his whole life and he made his life about following Jesus. And we're going to learn more about that as we move through this book. But the thing I want us to think about today is we're encountering these stories of who Jesus is. Is Are we willing to be a Kenneth and Christy Williams and say the most important thing in my life, I'm going to lay that on the altar. Today, Abraham and Isaac and our kids' story. Abraham loved Isaac most prized possession, the only child, the promised child of God. And God says, give me that child. And Abraham obeys. There are going to be times in our life where God's going to ask us to do really, really hard things. And sometimes he's just asking us to see if we'll say yes, and he's not going to make us follow through with it like he did with Abraham and Isaac. Or sometimes he's going to ask us to do really hard things like move to a third world country when you're almost fixing to have a baby. And you, and you say yes. Are we willing to follow Jesus? That's the question. Not just identify him with him because we want the cultural perks that come with that. But are we willing to actually follow Jesus? To lay it all on the line, as David Platt says, to write the blank check. That's what Luke is asking his readers. Are we willing to change our lives in order to follow Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' ministry in Galilee, we're going to see people respond in both ways, some that want to follow him and some that want to kill him. And just like those people who faced challenging words from Jesus, we're going to face those same challenging words as we continue on through this book. And Luke is asking us to decide up front, how are we going to respond to what we learn about Jesus? Are we willing to follow? Let's pray. Jesus, as we continue to encounter you in your word, I ask that you would speak into each of our lives, Father, that you would point out those areas in our lives where it's difficult for us to lay it down to you, where it's difficult for us to trust you. And Father, as you're identifying those things, I ask that your spirit would speak truth into our lives, just like Jesus did when he was teaching in the synagogues, that we wouldn't just 
know about you, but we would know you personally, that you would work in a way that we could experience your power and your authority in our lives. And that we would want to be obedient. Not that we're doing this because we feel like we have to or because we're supposed to, but because we love you. Father, that's a work that only you can do in our lives. So this week, as we are spending time in your word, as we're having conversations with you, as we're going through the difficulties of everyday life, Father, I ask you to continue to reveal yourself to us. Show yourself strong in our lives and give us these tiny little experiences that allow us to trust you more and more. Father, I know for myself and, and for the people in this room, our desire really is to know you. Father, I ask that those areas where it's difficult for us to, 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 to give up that authority and that power, Father, I ask that you would do something supernatural in us, something that we can't do in ourselves. Father, I know that through that, we're going to come to know you. And through knowing you, we'll be able to make you known. Jesus, we ask all this in your name. Amen.